She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode, and I'm so excited. I am interviewing Ben Azadi, author of Keto Flex, and guess what? I'm actually here in Miami, so I'm so excited to be interviewing him live. So Ben, welcome. Chantel, I am excited to be with you here at my studio. I know, (laughs) so we're here at his studio live, so this is so exciting. So for people, and you guys need to go back and listen to the episode that he's been with us before, and he did an amazing job on those uh, interviews. But I want, before we move forward, I want you to talk a little bit about what inspired you to write KetoFlex and give us a small tasting of what's in this book for people who haven't read it yet. Absolutely, Chantel. So um, I'm excited about this conversation, first of all. I wrote the book Keto Flex because I've been teaching keto since 2013 when I discovered it, transitioning from a vegan plant-based diet. Keto works so well for me and it works so well for people, but I made so many mistakes myself and even teaching it to people. Number one, I was very dogmatic about it. Number two, I didn't understand the differences between doing it for men versus women. And then even going a step farther, women who are having a menstrual cycle versus women who are menopausal do it differently too. So I started learning all these different ways to apply keto I started to view it as a tool, not necessarily a diet. And I said, okay, I should put this into a book. So the premise behind Keto Flex is that we use keto as a tool to reset the metabolism, teach the body to burn fat instead of sugar, which a lot of people really need to do. We'll talk more about that. And then we flex out. So flexing out means you intentionally get yourself out of ketosis. You have a feast meal, which we just spoke about. You have healthy carbs. And that is a good thing because sustained ketosis is not healthy for us. We're not designed to be in a constant uh, ketogenic state, but we are designed to use it from time to time. So the book outlines that. It outlines the role of fasting and how that plays into ketosis as well. And then there's even a chapter on sleep because it's just so important when it comes to health. So it also has a chapter, chapter 12, all about how to do keto and fasting for women specifically. So I customized the whole approach for them. So what made you decide to go from having a vegan diet. That's a pretty big change, (laughs) right? From going to vegan to going to keto. What brought brought that on from you going to vegan to... Yeah. So um, it's funny, like your friend that you mentioned uh, on on my podcast, I watched, I I didn't watch, I read uh, the China study. I read a book and then I read a few books, a few more books on the positive benefits of saving the world and saving your health, eating a plant-based diet and how eating meat causes colon cancer and all these diseases. And I didn't really understand back then, 2012, how to really read the studies and understand, is this real? Who funds it? Is it looking at, like, is it a a survey or is it actually done the right way? So it it fooled me into thinking that plant-based diet was the way to go. So I went all in with the plant-based diet. And in the first month, I actually had some results. I actually was more energized. I felt good. I was eating a lot of vegetables that I was not eating before. And I was dogmatic about it again. And then I eventually started to deteriorate with my health. At this time, I owned a CrossFit gym here in Miami. And I was doing CrossFit and I was a vegan. And if there's one thing that 
plant-based people have in common with the CrossFit people is that they can't shut up about what they're doing, right? CrossFit people love to talk about doing CrossFit and vegans mm -hmm. love to talk about being a vegan. So imagine being a vegan CrossFitter. I couldn't shut up about it. So I kind of um, saw and noticed that my health was declining. I was getting excessively sore from workouts. My energy levels were, were dropping. I had digestive issues, brain fog, but I put myself in that vegan box. So I stuck with it for a year and a half until I said, I got to do some blood work, look at my hormones. And the blood work verified how I felt. Mm. And at that point was when I made a decision to transition away. And then I got into the work of uh, Mark Sisson, who I just interviewed on my pod recently. I love him. So great. Uh, Dr. Pompa, who mentors me, and other people who were teaching ketosis and fasting back then, Mercola, Dave Asprey. And it made a lot of sense to me that this is uh, something our ancestors did. And that's when I made that transition. Mm. I want to hear what a day in the life of Ben Azadi looks like. So just give us a couple of your routines and give us what what are you eating these days? Oh, yeah. Well, right now, it's funny you ask, because right now I'm doing a carnivore experiment and okay. I'm, day, I'm on day 47 of carnivore. Okay. And uh, the, I do this from time to time, 30 days, 40 days. So I'm only eating meat right now. Okay. Uh, I'm eating some sheep and uh, some goat dairy. But outside of that, this is just a short term thing for me. Outside of that, I, I'm very similar to you with my eating window. It's about four hours, six hours, no longer than eight hours. I think you said the same thing. Typically in the afternoon between 12 and like 4 or 5 p.m. is my eating window. There is an exception, right? Today we're going to have dinner. It's going to be outside my normal yeah. eating window. So there's an exception there. And uh, if I'm not doing carnivore, I'm doing keto flexing. So on the days that I'm training heavy, maybe playing basketball, lifting weights, I will have more carbs that day, especially towards the last part of my meal, the last meal I have as a way to help with my performance and my gains. But if mm -hmm. it's a day where I'm not very active, maybe more of a walking, stretching sort of day, I'm in ketosis. I'm eating mostly protein and fat. I'm eating uh, vegetables that my digestive system handles well. So I don't handle high oxalate foods well, like almonds or spinach and kale. I don't do well with that. I get symptoms, but I could do well with arugula and dandelion greens and sometimes bok choy. So that's usually green leafy vegetables that I have. But the majority of what I eat is usually meat-based. I do really well with meat. So what? how is it with your poop? Because one of the things that <laughs> I I hear over and over for anyone who's doing, doing carnivore is they're saying, I'm feeling constipated or I'm feeling like I'm not pooping enough. What does that look like for it you? It does happen. Um, it doesn't happen to me on carnivore because I eat enough fat. And that is the key. If you're doing carnivore and you're finding that you're constipated and you just find that you're having some digestive issues, you want to bump up your, your fat. So instead of having the New York strip, you'll have the ribeye. You want to add a little bit, maybe some butter to a New York strip or just add more fats. And then if you find that you're getting loose stools because of the added fats, you support the liver. You maybe take ox bile, you do the castor oil pack, you do some coffee enemas, do some things to support the liver, which helps to produce the bile to break it down. Do you have any daily hacks? I see some different things that you have here at yeah. the house. What are some things that you do that you're like, these are kind of game changers for me? My morning routine. Uh, first of all, I don't look at my phone for the first hour and a half. Uh, there's no social media. There's no looking at my text or emails. I, I only look at my phone briefly to look at my aura ring scores, but I don't look at anything else. It's on do not disturb. Mm -hmm. So that's that's for number one, no phone. Number two is I write down my goals every morning. It's on my nightstand uh, before I even start my day. I write down my goals and my gratitude. So what I'm grateful for, the goals I want to achieve. I like to, to keep my goals in front of me as a way to feed the beast. 
Now, in terms of health biohacks, um, I walk my lovely dog, Ziggy, who's sleeping right here. Such a good boy. Uh, we go for a nice walk. As the sun's rising, I get that sun through my eyes, on my skin. I'm not wearing sunglasses, so I walk him for about 20, 25 minutes. And then I do my red light panel, which I have here, um, along with my self-development. So I'll read a little bit of Wayne Dyer, Bob Proctor, a Jesus Calling book every morning. I'll read a passage from there. Uh, and then now I just got my plunge, so I'm doing some plunging. But the unique thing about my experience with plunging is that I have Raynaud's. So you have Hashimoto's, mm -hmm. which is autoimmune. I have Raynaud's, which is autoimmune. And my Raynaud's, for those who don't know what it is, it's when you don't get enough blood flow to your extremities. So my fingers and my toes. And then when you are exposed to cold temperatures, you get this, uh, what's called a Raynaud's flare-up, where all the blood flow starts going away and it turns purple and white. So you, you've been, we have been told that you should, if you have Raynaud's to limit cold exposure, it's not good for you, but that isn't, they don't understand the principle of hormesis, right? You just spoke about this on my podcast. So I'm doing it in a way where I'm uh, slowly adapting to the cold exposure as a way to intentionally induce colds. So I increase that hormetic window to improve my Raynaud's. Mm. And my Raynaud's has improved dramatically over the years from, you know, heavy metal detoxification and all that. But it's not, I haven't turned off that gene yet and I'm committed to do it. So now my routine is, and I just started doing it, and somebody might laugh if they're doing cold plunging because it's not very cold to begin with, but I'm doing 72 degrees. Look, I'm from Miami and I'm heat adapted. <laughs> 72 feels cold to me. And I did three minutes the other day for the first time and I got a Raynaud's flare right after and I let my body heat up and it was fine. Today, I did 72 degrees again, but I did a minute and a half and I had no flare up. So the next time I do it, I'm going to do 69 degrees in a minute and a half, see what happens. And I'm going to keep adapting until I could achieve that 39 degrees of uh, cold temperature and my body will adapt to it. So it's funny that you say that because we have a place called Restore Cryotherapy by our house. And I, even though I have all the things they have at my house, I still go there just because <laughs> I think it's fun. But they have a big sign on the cryotherapy and it says... If you have Raynaud's, oh. you may not come in. Yeah. Like, right, no, you know, like Smart. big signs that they say, have if you have Raynaud's, you may not do cryotherapy. That's a smart idea. Yeah, because you got to do it the right way. Cryotherapy mm -hmm. is really cold and it's probably better to do more cold exposure that you could control the temperature like the one I have and then gradually decrease the temperature over time because it could be problematic. Yep. So your first book, Keto Flex, was a huge hit, and now you've got a publishing deal, and you're going to be writing a book about metabolic freedom. So tell us what inspired you to write a book from about metabolic freedom. I Yeah, I'm excited about this. Well, metabolic freedom, we, we've heard the term metabolic flexibility, while it's so important to have your mitochondria so healthy that it could burn sugar when it needs to and burn fat and go back and forth. That is metabolic flexibility. Metabolic freedom is, is a step above that, meaning you're not tied to counting every calorie that goes in your mouth. Mm. You don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, my blood sugar is dropping. When is, where's the next, uh, can I get to the pantry and get that snack? Your body knows what to do. It, it produces the ketones, it uses the fat, it uses the substrates that you have within you. That is metabolic freedom. When I travel, I don't want to eat food on, on the airplane. I don't want to eat food at the airport. Uh, and I don't tend to take food with me. So what do I do? Well, I'm metabolically free. So I let my body just feed off my body fat. And I feel energized and I feel good. Metabolic freedom is when you could fast and have more energy and feel good. That's why I wanted to write the book. Because when we look at what's happening in America, but also most first world countries, it's the complete opposite of metabolic freedom. It's metabolic 
inflexibility. There's, there's two studies that came out in the last 10 years, one from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, which showed that 88% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. And the other study showed that 93% of American adults are metabolically unhealthy. Mm -hmm. They're sugar burners. They're handcuffed to that next snack. And I wanted to teach them that there's a better way to achieve this metabolic freedom through ketosis, fasting, and different modalities that we'll talk about today. So I knew I had that book in me, um, and that's, that's the reason I'm writing it. I'm very excited about it. So when someone, if you said to someone, okay, you're metabolically inflexible, let's just talk about that. What does it look like to be metabolically inflexible? Well, if you did some labs, what you would see on the labs would be a high fasting insulin, which is a test that most doctors don't run unless you request it. So request a fasting insulin. You want that in the single digits. Uh, that means you're producing the right amount of insulin, not too much. If it's in the teens, you've got slight insulin resistance. And then if it's above that, you have insulin resistance. So that's one thing. And then the thing about the insulin is that your insulin could be so um, resistant uh, over time that your blood sugars might not even change because most doctors test the A1C, which is the three-month average of your blood glucose. But on average, it takes about 14 years of insulin resistance taking over before the blood sugars change. And then once that sh shift happens, then the doctor says you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. And that's a problem. If you, you, You're going to age faster. You're mm -hmm. going to shorten your lifespan. Your quality of life is going to be poor. You're going to be on a blood sugar roller coaster. You're going to gain weight. These are things to pay attention to mm -hmm. if you're metabolically inflexible. Um, so that's when it comes to labs, you want to look at that. And the average American is eating 300 grams of carbs a day, Chantel, and they're eating every two to three hours, up to 17 to 23 times per day. And they're constantly burning sugar. Insulin has to deal with that. The body wants one teaspoon of sugar in the entire bloodstream in a fasted state. And most people are not doing that. So insulin has to be pumped out by the pancreas. And that leads to a lot of problems, cancer, heart disease, obesity, etc. So what's funny is I decided to do a little test as an experiment where I wanted to see you know, we would get this question on the podcast all the time. They'd say, well, I ha can't drink my coffee black. They would send this thing like, I have to have cream in my coffee. I know that if I want to do a clean fast, I don't have cream in my coffee. So for about 30 days, and I always had black coffee in the morning. And then around maybe like 12 o'clock, sometimes I'd have like one more cup of coffee with a little bit of cream in it. I decided to do coffee with cream just for 30 days, just to see what would happen. I gained about four pounds, four to five pounds. Wow. Just from adding that cream in my, I mean, everything else is pretty much the same. I gained about four to five pounds just doing that one little tweak. Isn't that funny? It is funny. I believe it too, because your body needs to burn the fat from the, the heavy cream, cream or the cream before your body fat, right? Yes. And then- a lot of people are intolerant to, 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 to cream sometimes as well. Yeah. So that is interesting. But yeah, yeah I just a, wanted to try it. I was like, I'm going to try it. That's a good Once point. I gained five pounds, I was like, okay, yeah. we're not doing this anymore. Back to black coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so with this carnivore experiment that you have, when does that experiment end? And what are you trying, like, what are you hoping to say? Like, kind of like my experiment, my experiment that I did is like, <laughs> this isn't working. We're going right back to black coffee. 
what are you just kind of hoping for after this experiment? I, I, I love, I love carnivore. I feel really good with it. And I always do it. I do it 30 days, 40 days, two or three times a year. That's, that's what I've been doing since 2020. And with this specific experiment, I had planned to do 30 days. And uh, what I did on day one, I did a full le- uh, l- uh, list of labs. I did a very comprehensive lab panel from LabCorp, full thyroid antibodies, mm. all my hormones. I did, uh, of course, CBC and all that, inflammatory markers, full lipid panels, particle sizes. So I did all that day one as some data. And I did a stool test on day one. And I, uh, I have been wearing a CGM, although I just took it off, but I had it for the first month. And I'm looking at my, my aura uh, to compare my um, heart rate variability, deep sleep, REM sleep, and how many times I'm getting up to before I did my carnivore. And then on day, on day 30, I was going to plan on doing, to end it all and do retesting. But with the move, this is the real reason I continue doing yeah. it. With the move and all the things I have going on, I haven't uh, made the time to retest. Test. So I'm going to go 60 days, give mm-hmm. it a little bit longer, and then I'm going to retest on the final day and then break it and break it a, a little bit slowly by introducing. I love that because then you can just say like, it's in the numbers. Like, let's take a look right. at what's And I'm going to share happening. all that on a podcast, on a YouTube video. I'm going to create a, a, a video all about the data and I'm going to mm-hmm. show all my results. Here was what it looked like day one. Mm. Here's what it looked like day 60. And it goes against the grain of what most people have been taught about eating uh, meat. I want to talk a little bit about chronic inflammation because I'm seeing it more and more with just, it's seeming like 90% of the, the population is chronically inflamed. What are your suggestions for someone if they are saying like, everything in my body is inflamed, I've got to reduce this chronic inflammation. Give us some practical tips. Yeah, it goes hand in hand with uh, the metabolic inflexibility people. Those who are inflamed are metabolically inflexible, the 93%. There's two t- different types of inflammation, so I'm glad you said chronic, right? Chronic mm-hmm. is the problem. Acute is, is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Acute from a workout. I mean, you might get acute from a short, sore shoulder or a sprained ankle, but that the body deals with it. Chronic cell inflammation is the leading cause of so many diseases, diseases out there. When our membrane, our cell membranes are inflamed, those receptor sites, they're called, they're called integral membrane proteins that need to communicate with our hormones, our nutrients, our oxygen, the message is not being heard. The mm-hmm. signal is not being uh, heard. So hormones can't do their job efficiently. Your nutrients can't get in. Your supplements can't get in. And then we have symptoms. And the symptoms, we've been brainwashed to believe that symptoms are evil. We should hate them. The disease, the diagnosis, we should hate it. The war against cancer, these are all symptoms, right? But the truth is, symptoms are a gift from the innate intelligence, from what God put in our system to give us a check engine light. We should be thankful for the symptom because it's showing us that we're doing something to put to block innate intelligence, to put the body out of homeostasis. So what are those things that we're doing? It's multifactorial, but the, they're main contributors. I would say the number one contributor to chronic inflammation are heavy metals in this day and age. It's a toxicity component with the plastics we have in our food, that's one source of toxins. These are, are toxins that are lipophilic. They love fat and our cells are made up of fat. Our brain is made up of fat. But then we have the heavy metals like mercury and cadmium, aluminum, which is in high amounts these days, lead. lead. Exactly. These get embedded into the membrane and create chronic inflammation. So that is one. And then we have other toxins like glyphosate, which... In a, well, let's start with okay. the, the heavy metals. So. Yeah. 
obviously, like if someone has a mouthful of fillings and mercury fillings in there, they could go to a doctor and that that specializes in removing those in a holistic way. That would be one thing. What else can they do to remove those heavy metals from their diet or from their body? The first thing is, yeah, so to assess your environment, so your oral microbiome. So if you have silver amalgam fillings, to your point, Chantel, 55% of each filling contains mercury. And that mercury goes from organic mercury in the tooth and it vaporizes because the mouth is acidic. We chew on foods, we drink hot beverages, and it vaporizes into the hypothalamus pituitary and it gets locked in there as inorganic mercury. So the first step, if you have silver fillings, is to find a biological dentist, a holistic dentist, to get them removed safely. Mm-hmm. Please, please, please don't go to a regular dentist. I'd rather you keep the fillings in your mouth mm-hmm. than get them removed from a regular dentist because that could create even more vaporization and a more, uh, more issues down the line. So you get them removed, number one, and then you find somebody who understands how to properly, safely, and effectively remove these metals from the brain. It doesn't happen in a month. It happens over years, not months, as you talked about. Years, not months. So I teach this. I learned this from Dr. Pampa. There are other people who understand how to do this the right way. So you get a proper heavy metals detoxification protocol done, and you do it long enough for you to pull not just mercury, but lead from the bone and cadmium and other heavy metals that are deep inside of our tissues. I don't know about you guys, but I am stressed. And if you're feeling overwhelmed this holiday season, then I get it. With all the family get-togethers, it is just a relentless source of stress. But anyway, there is something that I've got called Stress Guardian. And it's actually made by Bioptimizers, the people who make the magnesium breakthrough, which I love, love, love. But anyway, they are literally made this new product. It has 14 adaptogenic herbs and it just regulates your stress. I just actually took some right this second. And it's awesome. If you go to stressguardian.com slash waste away and put in waste away for 10% off your first order, it's stressguardian.com slash waste away. Go there now. Good. And what what are some of the supplements that, that obviously you've got to take the full protocol and you really need someone to assess it and figure out what, what you've got, but what are some of the supplements that are removing those heavy metals? So the first thing to do is to work on your downstream detox pathways. You don't even start detox right away. You strengthen your, your liver, your kidneys, your colon, your gut. So you open up those downstream pathways. And you could do that with supplements, of course. So you could take some liver support, gut support, uh, colon support, make sure you're moving things along. So you do that for about a month or so. That's called the preparatory phase. You're preparing yourself for detox. That's the first step. Like and lymphatic str- drainage. Lymphatic drainage, all that, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many, many things we can do. So you do that first. You want to make sure your downstream detox pathways are open before you start pulling toxins from your body. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they get backed up and you feel worse and you're not Mm -hmm. detoxifying. You're actually making things worse. So that's the first step. Then you start clearing these uh, metals that are floating around the bloodstream and in and around the cells. And you do that with different chelators. I use a product called Cytodetox that Dr. Pampa developed. There's other chelators out there. But you want chelators that have been tested to be clean and have the ability, have different particle sizes that could sit outside the cell and actually get into the cell at the same time and pick up these metals. You want to combine that 
with binders, uh, clean binders that also have been tested, that have multiple binders that sit in the gut, because as the chelator pulls those toxins, it'll go to your liver, your liver will dump bile into the gut, and that's where the binder sits, and it collects it there. And you typically take binders right before bed, because the liver is very active overnight, and it dumps those toxins, and it's sitting in the gut. But the binders are a really, really important piece that I think very. a lot of people miss. Yeah. And they do all these other things, but you have to have the binder so that it can attach to all of the things you want to get rid of. That's right. You need a catcher's mitt. Otherwise, you auto-intoxicate. What's the mm-hmm. use of using chelators if you're not using a binder? You're just going to auto-intoxicate mm-hmm. and make you're going to feel worse. But also, you know, in combination with that, you want to do some things to get the cell detoxing. So glutathione, intracellular glutathione is important. Uh, some methylation support is, is important as well. Oh my gosh, I have to tell you something tell about me. glutathione. So we did this test. We, we have an IV place that restore cryotherapy. And we had, a bunch of us had been talking to this girl and she's like, I'm telling you what will really get rid of parasites big time is taking high, high dosage of glutathione, like in an IV. So we all got like glutathione and one of our friends, she got like a triple dose of glutathione. And then next day she was like, I was having worms come out of my poop. And so (laughs) I am literally, I really want someone to test this and tell me if it's right. But that the glutathione is like one of the magic tricks to, and we don't know if it was just her that, you know, it happened. It was like, we, we did it with two people and it worked, but I want to take a bigger sample of it and see if that glutathione really helps remove a ton of worms and parasites from your gut. Yeah, but keep a, going. You know, it's interesting. And the fact that you did it through IV uh, means it's effective because most glutathione supplements out there actually don't even get into the cell, right? Mm-hmm. So IV does. The, the ones I use get into the cell. Yeah, so you take some things to support cell detox and then you want to stay in that body phase for at least three months where you're clearing toxins from your bloodstream and your cells and your body. And what happens is after doing this for three months, you're creating a, a concentration gradients where now you've cleared enough from the body, you could have uh, more of an efficient access to the toxins in the brain and in your bones, like lead in the bones, mercury in the brain. Then you move on to the brain phase. So you're still taking binders and a cytodetox, but you're stacking another chelator with the chelator you already have. So I usually stack EDTA with the cyto uh, or DMSA. There's different uh, chelators out there, but an additional chelator, and you're taking something to allow these um, chelators into the brain. So ALA, alpha-lipoic acid, is very powerful to allow these chelators into the brain to chelate these metals from the brain. And now you're pulling mercury from the brain. You're pulling cadmium from the brain. But the important thing to understand is that you got to... This is a very... There's a scientifically proven process to this, but there's an art and everybody does detox differently. Mm. So know what you're doing, work with a practitioner because you don't just stay on a detox cycle 24 mm-hmm. seven. You do on, off, on, off. Cause then work. you'll feel worse. You're gonna feel worse. You're gonna exhaust your detox pathways. It's gotta be cyclical. And how you do that is dependent on that person. And that's where the coach comes into play. So do you do one-on-one coaching with someone if they say, listen, I know for a fact I've got heavy metals, I've got this, I've got that. I Maybe they've already gone to a, a holistic dentist, gotten those fillings out, but now they wanna detox. Do you work with people one-on-one um, to remove 
and give them exactly kind of the steps of what they need to do. So I don't do much one-on-one these days. I do them for unique cases. Somebody is really sick and they need that one-on-one approach. Mm -hmm. The answer would be yes for them. And I would talk to them and see if it's a good fit. And they could email me, um, Mm -hmm. uh, support at ketocamp.com, camp with Mm -hmm. a K. But I have another option as well. I I take a small group of 15 people Mm -hmm. through a 90-day detox protocol and I teach them this process. And that's much more affordable, and I do that three times a year. The next one's actually starting in January. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but mm-hmm. it's ketocampdetox.com if they wanna learn more about that. Awesome, Thank I you for love asking. that. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Um, so that, to me, that's the answer. You need to get into a group, because then you can, you can actually hear from other people. It's even better than one-on-one, because yeah. then you can hear about, you know, this is going on with this person. They. They, you can iron sharpens iron and you yeah, can get ideas right. from other people. Um, so what else do you think that uh, is going to be a tasting of this book that's going to get people excited about it coming out? I'm going to talk about the causes. So heavy metals is a part of that. Uh, glyphosate, as I was talking about earlier, uh, what Stephanie Senef from, from MIT has shown with their research is that glyphosate actually forces these metals deeper into our tissues. So we want to make sure we eat organic as much as possible. But even with organic, we're getting exposed to glyphosate. It is pretty much everywhere. So um, that's something to consider. You want to do some things to help the gut microbiome and the effects that glyphosate has on the gut microbiome. And then some other things, of course, the the obvious is to limit your sugar intake, your refined sugar intake, your carbohydrate intake. Uh, I love the analogy from Dr. Fung about what happens when you eat high carbs and eat it frequently the insulin resistance part. It's uh, the analogy is that if I put on headphones and I start listening to music on my phone and I listen to music 24-7 through these headphones at 50% volume, but I don't take a break after about a month, I'm going to need to increase the volume to get the same effect, right? And then after two months of not taking a break, I'm going to have to continue increasing the volume to get the same effect. What's happening is I'm going deaf to the music. What happens here when you eat carbs and eat it frequently, you're going deaf to the screams of insulin. Insulin is shouting, the cells are not hearing it, and then insulin resistance occurs and type 2 diabetes and all these other problems. So the solution is to dial down the music. You do that with ketosis with fasting with carnivore you you get sensitized now to the music if you will to insulin and that restores this uh insulin resistant problem that we see when you get off of uh the carnivore diet what vegetables do you feel like you're going to implement back in that you feel the best with like i know you said I don't feel great when I eat a lot of kale. I don't feel great when I eat spinach or high oxalate foods. Talk about the foods, the vegetables that you do feel great with and some of the ones that you don't. It's a great question because we hear a lot about like anti-nutrients and oxalates and plant toxins. And there's a point to be made there. A lot of people have leaky gut and they can't really tolerate them. So it could be a good idea short term as you work on the gut to eliminate these things and then bring them back in and see how your body responds to them because everybody's different. So for me, like you said, I can't have those high oxalate foods. The ones I do feel well with, arugula, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, uh, things like, uh, you know, I could do well with sweet potato and potatoes. These are, even though those are a little higher oxalates, I do well with those versus like kale and spinach and almonds. So those are things that I pay attention to. And how you would pay attention to is, Maybe you you do an elimination diet or a carnivore diet, and then you introduce one vegetable one day at a time, and you give yourself 24 hours to assess, 
if a symptom popped up. Maybe it's uh, you brought in broccoli, the first vegetable, and you notice I'm getting some post-nasal drip or I'm, I'm noticing some brain fog or maybe my HRV declined. I'm looking at it on my aura ring or maybe I'm getting a joint pain. You have identified that broccoli, probably not good for you right now. But maybe you bring on cauliflower the next day, you don't have any symptoms. You actually feel fine. You have identified cauliflower works well for you. So for me, these are some of the things I've identified that works well for me. I want you to talk about a diverse microbiome because I've been really doing some deep digging on a diverse microbiome. And so I've kind of had a little bit of a brain shift, if you will, because it's like what what I, I have this friend of mine who she has eliminated so much stuff that she's down to like five or six foods that she's eating because every time she eats this, she feels bad. Every time she eats this, she feels bad. And it kind of, if you think about the whole like hormetic zone that you feel the best, well, maybe you add that broccoli and you don't feel great, but then you add it again, you know what I mean? And now your body, you're, you're creating a more diverse microbiome by adding all these different foods in instead of this whole idea. Cause I feel like what's happening is people are like, Oh, eliminate this, eliminate this. Eliminate. And then you get to the place where you have nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you've cut everything out. What's your thoughts on that? I agree with you hundred percent. You know, they're missing the whole hermetic component to it. The solution is not to run away from these plant toxins. The solution is to have a gut microbiome that adapts to it, even if it stresses it, because the stress creates more diversity. Right. And if you eat the same uh, carnivore foods or whatever, three or four foods for a long period of time, guess what's going to happen? You're going to decrease your diversity, decrease your lifespan. We know that health and longevity means diverse gut, gut, gut microbiome. So yeah, there's a case to be made that there could be a stress, but your body adapts to it, and that stress creates more gut bacteria. And there's some diversity there that's very, very important. So I'm with you 100%. I don't think the solution is to just eat or stay away from these plant toxins forever. That's like saying I don't want to be exposed to germs, so I'm going to put myself in a bubble for the rest of my life. It's, it, that's not the solution. I, would, I, I hope that you really, when you get off of carnivore, I'd love for you to really document how you feel with some of the different things that you add back in and then keep adding it back in and do a test on kind of like with the broccoli. Like let's say you ate broccoli the first day back from carnivore, but you didn't feel great. And then you did it again for the next day. Does that make sense? Yep, yep. And actually document. I think that would be I'll really interesting to see that. what that would look like. I'm down for that. Give us some more tips that would help someone to be metabolically flexible? Sleep is important. Um, sleep is, is fundamental. Uh, and what, what research has shown is that just one poor night of sleep, the next morning you're going to have higher levels of cortisol. What follows cortisol is your blood sugar level, so you'll have higher levels of blood sugar. The hunger hormone ghrelin is increased when you don't get quality sleep, so you are going to have more cravings. And then your satiety hormone, leptin, which is also a fat-burning hormone, is decreased. So you're less satisfied. You want to eat more. You're going to be irritable just from one poor night of sleep, right? So what that does to your metabolism over time, if you compound that, five nights of poor sleep, you could have blood sugars that mimic somebody who's pre-diabetic in healthy men. I saw some studies from the University of Chicago that showed that. After seven days, actually, mm -hmm. of poor sleep, they saw that. That's pretty fast. So sleep is important. And I'm not going to say get eight hours of sleep because 
it's not about the quantity, it's about the quality, right? We, we track our sleep, Chantel, through our Aura Ring, and mm-hmm. there's other devices to do it. We want to look at how much REM sleep are we getting? How much deep sleep are we getting? Those are two very important sleep cycles. Deep sleep, your fat-burning hormones are burning fat. Your body is repairing from the workout. REM sleep, you're activating your glymphatic system where you're flushing out toxins and accumulated plaque and protein from the brain. You're taking short-term memory and processing it for long-term memory. That's very important too. So I always tell my students, aim to get about 90 minutes of deep in REM each night. I don't care about your total amount of sleep, but aim to get 90 minutes of deep in REM and you're going to feel so much better. It's going to help you get on that path towards metabolic freedom, freedom so much easier. You guys, I'm so excited. We are doing a free masterclass for you. It's actually on nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass. That's nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass. And it's going to be all about how to get rid of your gut infections, how to get rid of parasites. If you have painful digestion, if you're suffering from poor sleep, if you've got constant exhaustion, massive joint pain, or skin issues, then you need to get rid of the parasites that are holding your body hostage. I'm going to tell you right now, you're thinking, I don't have parasites. I don't have parasites. Yes, you do. I have Crystal with me. Crystal, tell them your joke. Yeah. If you have a pulse, then you have a parasite or more. And the thing about parasites is they're sneaky. And even if they came back negative on a stool test that you did before, that doesn't matter. They can still be present. And so on this masterclass, we're going to teach you all the tips and tricks that you might have heard of but didn't know how to use, like diatomaceous earth, pumpkin seed protocols, garlic and berberine and black walnut, because you can't do all of these things, but you need to select a few that work for you. So we're going to go through all of that in this masterclass. All right. And my son created a new site. It's called Non-Toxic Family. And if you're not following, go to nontoxicfamilynow.com or on Facebook, go to Non-Toxic Family. You'll see my son He does all these great videos on how to be healthy. They're really great. And we actually put the free masterclass on this site. So it's nontoxicfamily.com slash masterclass and sign up for free. Look forward to seeing you guys. So what are some practical tips like for you personally? Like if you say, if I do A, B, and C, I know I'm getting a good night's sleep. If I do A, you know, E, F, G... I'm not getting a good night's sleep. When I get morning sunshine, even if it's not sunny, if it's cloudy, but if I get that morning sun through my eyes and skin, it usually helps with sleep that same night. I want you to talk about that because I just told a friend of mine that we were talking about because we were going for a walk and she was like, do you need your sunglasses? And I said, no, I don't wear sunglasses in the morning. I try to at least get a minimum of 10 minutes of straight sun in my eyes. So I want you to talk about that of why you don't wear sunglasses when you're walking. Yeah, we want that sun to penetrate our retina, touch our skin. So I don't wear, I'm not covered up either. It's easy to do that in Miami. (laughs) But the photons, I mean, the benefits from that sunlight, it's signaling to your pineal gland to start producing and storing melatonin for the night up ahead. And then at night it releases it. Uh, it also syncs your hormones with mother nature, the circadian rhythm. We're designed to be in sync with mother nature and the sun helps sync our hormones and helps with our energy levels and our focus. And all these amazing things happen when you go according to the circadian clock. So that's why I don't wear sunglasses. And I know that's why you don't wear it as well. Mm-hmm. We want that sunshine. It doesn't have to be an hour. It could be 15, 20 minutes, even on an overcast day. But when I do that, 
I notice better sleep that same night. When I limit food before bed, uh, three or at least three or five hours, no food before bed, I definitely see an improvement with my deep sleep and also my uh, heart rate variability, which we could talk more about if you want. So that is also something that goes hand in hand with, you know, do and don't do. Make sure I just have a cap. I don't really eat late at night. Today's going to be an exception because we're going to dinner, but usually don't eat late past five o'clock. Um, cold bedroom. I have a, 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 um, a chili pad and I think there's a, it's called something else now. They renamed it, but I have the old chili pad and I set it to 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. <laughs> and I'm bundled up because your body temperature needs to drop in order to achieve uh, deep sleep. And then I set my, um, my, my therm, not thermostat, but I have these individual AC units in each, each room to 64 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. And then I'm bundled up. That helps me get good deep sleep. It's funny because I do 68 degrees and my I would like it to be a little bit colder, but my husband's like, no, that's <laughs> like our, our limit of what we're 68's doing. 68's good. But I, if I do the chili pad, I think I could get the chili pad on just my half of the yes, bed. Yes, you can. Yeah. And that would work well as exactly. well. You could adjust your side and then you could just bundle up according to what you need to do. So that helps with deep. You know, something else I noticed with deep and also heart rate variability and heart rate variability is very important marker to look at. I'd love to talk more. Yeah, about, talk about that. Yeah, uh, and then I'll I'll tie it into what I was about to say. Mm-hmm. So we have our autonomic nervous system, right? Our nervous mm-hmm. system is so important. Arguably, when your nervous system is out of balance, mm-hmm. the innate intelligence will give you a symptom to show you to bring it back into balance. So we have the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, elimination, detoxification part of your uh, nervous system, and then we have the sympathetic nervous system, which is the branch that is fight flight, noradrenaline, cortisol, go, go, go. That's also important in spurts. A lot of people, most people, are locked into this sympathetic state. They're parasympathetically suppressed. And when that happens... And I want to say this, because a lot of people, when you say the sympathetic is the fight or flight, and it sounds like it's the opposite, don't you think? Like it should be the parasympathetic, but the fight or flight is the is sympathetic. The sympathetic. And I think people get confused on that, but keep going. That's exactly right. That is what we have used to survive uh, when we had to fight a predator, like it gave us the energy to do so, but we're not designed to stay there, right? We're designed to rest and recover, and that is the para. And that's what I've been in in the last Correct. year. I've that's been why, in that fight or flight. That's a big problem, a big issue with your health uh, yes. and the symptoms you had. You were in that chronic sympathetic yes. state, right? And I naturally am in a sympathetic state as an op- entrepreneur. I'm always thinking about ideas and how do we help more people, right? It's just like part of it. So we want to balance it out. We want to get both because it, it, when you're getting more parasympathetic, it's going to help you digest food better, eliminate better. You spoke about the importance of that on my podcast right before this one. And your heart rate variability is giving you that gauge of how adaptable is that nervous system. You talk about hormesis, it gives you that idea of how flexible are you tapping into parasympathetic, sympathetic, going back and forth and mastering both of these branches. So what we want to do is find our baseline heart rate variability. And that is very different. You're not, we should not compare our HRVs to anybody else because genetics play a big part there. So you want to get a tracker or a, a whoop band, whatever you want to get and use that for two weeks and then get your average of that HRV. Let's say it's 35 is your average. The higher your HRV, the better. That shows you're getting more of a balance between parasympathetic and sympathetic. The lower, the worse. It means you're in a, in a sympathetic state. So once you find that average, if it's 35, then you want to work on building that average up. 
and you want to work on increasing that over time. When I first got my aura ring, I just had my, they, on my app, it showed my five-year anniversary with them yesterday. Mm-hmm. So I've had them for five years. But when I first started using it, my HRV was in the 40s. Now my average HRV is in 75. So I almost doubled it, right? And that's a, wow. it's a good sign. And one of the biggest needle movers that I've uh, implemented to achieve this is not eating before bed, but also wearing a sleep mask. And I mm. learned this from... Uh, Dr. Peter Martoni, have you interviewed him? I, yeah, yes. I have. He's been on my show like at least two times and his episodes are literally crush. like crush it. He's amazing. I mean, yeah. I think it, cause he wears pajamas he in does. the interview. And he has the bed. Uh, and he has the bed. Yeah. I think, I don't know what it is, but his episodes are off the charts yeah. on the numbers every time I do it. I love that man. He's, I love him. And incredible. every time I learn something yeah. new, I, one of the things that I will say that I learned from him and I'm so grateful for I used to be a side sleeper. Mm-hmm. I would sleep on my side. Most people do. And he really, in one of his episodes, he was like, Chantel, because I was constantly getting like neck pain. I yeah. couldn't move my neck. I was always stiff. I was always going to the chiropractor. And he's like, you have to sleep on your back. That is really, really important. And I don't know. I just forced myself to do it. In the beginning, it's tough. It's very, yeah. very difficult. And now I finally sleep on my back. I... I do every one of his tips. I yeah. I used to send him, like I would text him my sleep scores. He's like, Chantel. You crushing. I've never seen anyone <laughs> with sleep scores like you. Awesome. Like that was like my one claim to fame yeah. was like my sleep scores were insane. It was like crown, 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 yeah. crown. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, he's, he's so brilliant. So one of the things I learned from him is that one of the, the average person, I, th- I forget the quote, uh, he said, I think 20 plus times a night, the average person wakes up and three primary reasons. One of those reasons is that they uh, need, need to feel a, 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 they want to, a need for safety. And when we're in the womb, right, we're in this fetal position. And sometimes we are instinctually uh, perceiving that our environment is, is dangerous, like our ancestors, right? So we always want to feel safe. And even though we are safe, we're just hardwired this way. So we move around and we, we kind of um, go into this position and it wakes us up throughout the night. So one of the things we can do is wear a sleep mask because the light pressure that, apl- that applies to your face, not necessarily to, black out, to block out the light, although that is important, but the pressure signals to your uh, nervous system that you're safe increases that hrv and allows you to get deeper sleep as well wow i'm gonna do that it's an easy tip and i remember him talking about that but you just convinced me to do it that is one tip and i do almost all of his tips you know one of the things he says is to keep your hands outside of the blankets blanket yeah as radiators right Yeah, yeah so i like do that but i do almost everything he suggests but I remember him talking about that, but you convinced me to do it. Add into the mix. So yeah. I do that. And then I, I uh, mouth tape at night because when you're breathing through your mouth, which most people do, especially when they sleep, that activates your sympathetic nervous system. Mm. When you breathe through your nose, it activates your parasympathetic nervous system. It allows for more nitric oxide to be produced and it increases your HRV. So I use uh, a mouth tape. And then do I have, you just do a what kind of tape? Do I you use buy a com- one? you could use pretty much any tape. I use a company called Somnifix. I just like their adhesive, but mm-hmm. you could use any company or just grab any like 3M tape. But mm-hmm. and you don't do it where you're covering your whole mouth in case you need to 
force yourself to breathe and you feel like you're suffocating, you can mm-hmm. allow some room there, but you want to breathe through your nose and this mm-hmm. forces you to do that. So how much of your mouth are you covering? Well, with the Somnifix, it, co- it covers the whole thing, but if you really wanted to like forcefully breathe through it, you can because it has, it has some opening. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do like a piece of tape, just do the middle, just do the mm-hmm. middle, just to keep it closed. And then if you need to, you know, force yourself to open it up, you can do that. So how hard of a transition was that for you to start sleeping that way? It, well, the mouth tape was difficult because I felt like I was suffocating. Uh, I've been a chronic mouth breather for so many years, especially when I sleep, uh, slept. So I would take it off and take it off. And then eventually, like hormesis, I adapted to it. Now it's so easy. And I, and I notice if, I for, if I'm traveling and I forget my mouth tape and I can't get tape, mm-hmm. My deep and my REM and my HRV all decrease. Wow. Every time I don't wear the tape, every single time. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. What other hacks do you have for us? For sleep or whatever. Outside you of want. anything. Yeah. Um, my favorite thing to talk about, which I'm going to have a whole chapter on in the book, is how our thoughts influence our health mm-hmm. and how our thoughts are signals that communicate with our cells. Like Dr. Bruce Lipton has proven that our thoughts are frequencies that communicate with our DNA nucleus. Mm-hmm. And if that thought is a what I call a stinking thinking thought, like Zig Ziglar used to say, a hateful thought, a resentful thought, an angry thought, the signal sent to the DNA tells the DNA to produce inflammatory proteins. It shortens our telomeres and damages our DNA over time from a thought. And the average person has... 60,000 thoughts every day. So imagine if the majority of our thoughts, which studies show 90% of them are negative thoughts and the same thoughts every day. If that's thousands and thousands of thoughts every day, think of the damage that's occurring at a cell level with our thoughts. But if the opposite is true, which it is, if it's a loving thought, a grateful thought, an abundant abundant thought, a faithful thought, you have strong faith and I love Mm -hmm. that about you. The signal that's now sent to the DNA produces anti-inflammatory proteins. It protects the telomeres. It protects your DNA. Mm -hmm. So then essentially you have 60,000 opportunities to put the body in a healing state every day with your thoughts. And I think that is probably the greatest biohack that we could ever learn and Mm -hmm. implement in our lives. Mm, I love that. When is the book going to come out? Probably not for another year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a little bit. But I'll create a bunch of content, write some articles about different things, and maybe share some excerpts on my podcast, but probably 18 months out. And you know what I think is really powerful, if you wanted to add to it, is a lot of these new books coming out, they're doing a video course with the book. So when you buy the book, you turn in your receipt and you do a video get like course. A masterclass course. Yeah, you yeah. get like some Smart. kind of masterclass. I would do something like that because some of these things, like even like what you just said about the tape, watching a video of you even at night, like that would be kind of cool to yeah. see that. Like that's a hack I want to now implement. Yeah. I'd love to see that where you're like, hey everyone, now I'm getting ready for bed and you know, you're, they can actually visually see it and it motivates you to do it or, you know, with the eye mask or yeah, whatever I love it, it is. It's a great idea. Yeah. It's a fantastic idea. What have I not asked you that you want listeners to know? Um, what have you not asked me? Uh, questions have been great. I think, you know, the most important thing here that I would want to communicate to your listeners is that you got to believe that you could heal. You got to believe that God has built your body to have everything you need to thrive, Mm. to be self-healing. And it's just a matter of you removing the interference. Mm. But you won't be inspired to do that long enough unless you have belief. 
And there's something to be said about believing in your innate intelligence, believing your God-given body's ability to heal itself. And people lack that belief. Mm. They're resentful about the bad information they've gotten from their doctors and dietitians. They, they think that they're broken. They think that they're a unique case that can't achieve health because they're on 20 meds or they're dealing with all these diagnoses and symptoms, but you can do it. Mm-hmm. And if you lack the belief, you could borrow my belief. Mm-hmm. You could borrow Chantel's belief until you develop that belief for yourself. But belief is probably the most important thing here. It's the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And there is so much power in the placebo effect. And there's so much power in the nocebo effect, meaning you don't believe you could heal. You don't believe you can do this. You think that your body's broken. Well, you're right in both scenarios. And faith and fear both demand for us to believe in something that we cannot see. Why don't we choose the faith? Why don't we choose the positive outcome? So I encourage your audience to believe that your body can heal itself. It might not happen in a month. It might not happen in six months. But it will happen if you do it long enough for it to really matter. You continue listening to Chantel's podcast, reading her books, listening to my podcast. The consistency. The consistency. But what's going to lead to the consistency is to have the belief. Because if you don't, you're going to give up the second you get a symptom. You're going to give up the second something's not working fast enough. You're going to give up the second the scale's not going down fast enough. But when you have the belief that your body's going to heal, you're going to stick with it long enough for it to matter. I know one last question I forgot to ask you, and that's about mobility. After this, we are going to go and take this perfect dog. You guys can't really see it right now, but he's got the most perfect <laughs> dog. He literally just paw. is sitting here and being as perfect as can be. <laughs> and we're going to take him for a walk. You had said you previously owned a CrossFit gym. Tell yeah. us what does your movement look like and what are you finding that is working for you the best right now? Yeah, a CrossFit. CrossFit's great. You know, CrossFit taught me about the importance of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you had referenced the importance of I a used team. to. I actually, the day I gave birth, do you remember the Filthy Fifty? Yeah, I did the Filthy Fifty, and I beat guys before I gave the day I gave birth to my son. That's. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. <laughs> it is, but I was so determined that I was going to give birth that night. Oh I was like, gosh. this baby is coming. Remember I told you I threw up six times yeah. a day every day. I was done. I, I gave birth three work weeks early because I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. I was the worst pregnant woman ever. But anyway, wow, go ahead. Tell me about crazy. the mobility. I wouldn't recommend that though. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I mean, the CrossFit taught me about community. But, you know, there's a lot of negative connotations to CrossFit. You got to understand uh, hormesis, right? You have to understand that if you're going to go hard in the gym, you got to go hard in your recovery. So that's important. So for me, I understand that balance now to answer your question. So today I gave you, I did my cold plunge and then I went into my gym, which is my garage. And I did a nice 45 minute workout. And then I played 15 minutes of basketball here in my driveway. And I went pretty hard today. So tomorrow is going to be more of a recovery day. Um, I think more important than trying to get in 60 minutes of training every day in a workout is to first start with moving your body, depending on your activity level, get your steps in, you know, work your way up to getting 10,000 steps at the bare minimum each day, just tying some ways to move around throughout the day, and then find a sweet spot that works for you. So for me, that's going to be doing strength training three to four times a week for about 30 minutes each time with the proper warm-up, the proper cool-down, and then having some high-intensity sprinting in the form of basketball every Sunday. I'll do that in the fasted state for two hours out in the park in the Miami sun. That is a stressor. So the Mm -hmm. next Monday, the day right after, because I do that every Sunday, the day after, 
there's no exercise that day. It is mm -hmm. about a recovery day. My HRV tanks that day and then it builds back stronger. So these are things that are very important. And I think on the cold plunge part, a lot of people think they should cold plunge after a workout. That is not the way to do it. You don't wanna do cold plunging after exercise because you block your innate intelligence from dealing with that inflammatory response from the workout. Mm. If you're gonna cold plunge on a day you're working out, you do it before the workout. You cool down to warm up. So you cold plunge and then warm up with your workout. So you do it before the workout, not after the workout. It's funny, I went to a health conference and we, we had like a di dinner that would mastermind and it was like Ben Greenfield and all like the top, top people. And everyone had to go around and say what their like number one thing that they feel like has changed their health. And every person was like cold plunge, cold plunge, really? cold, cold plunge. Wow. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And everyone was like, is there anything else besides <laughs> cold plunge? Well, this has been amazing. Tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Chantel, you're amazing. I appreciate the <laughs> conversation. Uh, I'm glad we did it in person yes, here in my studio. So great. I have my Keto Camp podcast, Camp with the K. We are about to hit episode 700. Wow. I know you're about to hit, what, episode 400? Ours 500. is like 500. Yeah, yeah 500. That is very impressive. Yeah. You know, 90% of podcasters don't get past episode 10. Wow. So that is commitment. Yeah, Bravo to is. you. So Keto Camp Podcast, Chantel was just on it We before this episode. That's yep. going to air soon. Uh, my website's benazadi.com. So if you want to learn more about my courses, I have my Keto Camp Academy, I have the detox program, everything mentioned could be found over at benazadi.com. I love it. Well, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.